Thanks, TJ. Community is a powerful thing. We've all heard the phrase strength in numbers, and we're all aware of the overwhelming power that a group can have versus an individual. This is the way that God has made us and created our minds. He knows us. And so God has used the power of group for humans for good. The classic case is in, in the Bible is in the reforms of Hezekiah. When Hezekiah reinstituted the Passover and reformed a nation, the classic verse we always go to at Bible schools is in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 22 through 23, which says, Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. And so in this wonderful time of spiritual reformation, the power of the group and the community gathering together led to this wonderful reform that was only possible when the people got together in this manner. And so we know that groups and community have a powerful effect on our lives and are a part of how we live every single day. When I look back at my own life, just anecdotally, and I look back to the events and moments that, that were most powerful in helping build my own faith and shipping me into a responsible adult, which I, I may or may not still be today, I, I look back and I think about times at Manitouan Youth Conference, at times at Hanover, at Shippensburg, at the football challenge, at study days like this, and it's the gathering together of believers that really helps us stay on the straight and narrow path, helps us focus on God's kingdom, and build up our faith and commitment to what's coming in the future. That's why God put in the Old Testament things like the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover. But this power, which is, it should be used for good, even in the Bible, was also used for bad. Come with me, please, to 1 Kings chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 12 and verses 25 through 31, the story of Jeroboam. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. So this is Jeremiah having just rebelled from Rehoboam in the, in the, earlier in the chapter, is now establishing his rule in the north. Verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So this story first and foremost, is a shame on Jeroboam. He knew the power of community 
and he used it for evil. He established idolatrous worship in the land, rival events, rival gatherings, rival communities. And that's why throughout history, other bad kings were called, you know what, they weren't quite as bad as Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. But beyond Jeroboam, though, if we look back at verse 30, we can often scapegoat him. But what about the rest of everyone else, all of the responsible adults, the parents, the leaders of that community, they willingly chose when this rival gathering was going on, a rival community was forming, they chose to join that group and not continue with worship in Jerusalem. The people, the adults, the the mature ones like us, they were carried away into apostasy despite knowing better because the power of the group and the power of community pulled them away for evil. And there was an external threat to the community and gathering in Jerusalem. There's also an internal struggle that these events and this worship goes through. Come with me, please, to Malachi chapter 1. It's one thing for a rival event, a rival community, to pull away and to externally tempt the, the gathering of believers in Jerusalem. But that gathering can also be threatened internally. In Malachi chapter 1, amidst all of the back and forth of, of the people saying, well, well yet, yet you say, and, and, and there's this like, it's a stream of condemnation from God to the bad practices in Malachi's day. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, we'll read, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? says the Lord. And so internally, these group events, the gathering of the community, was also threatened because the people viewed these events as a weariness. And they brought a second-rate effort. They just brought the leftovers and the lame and the sick as offerings for for these various feasts and, and the gatherings. And so there's a real threat that the Bible presents to us that these powerful and wonderful gatherings of believers can be challenged both externally through the power of other apostate communities and can also be challenged internally if we don't bring our best and bring our best effort and if we're not making these things a priority. And so here's two examples in the Bible for us of how the community of believers, the ecclesia, can erode. In the case of Jeroboam's idols, it was external pressure. And it reminds us of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, who when he saw all the bright flashing lights, he said, I want my inheritance, and I want to go spend it on prodigal living. And the external temptation pulled him out of the father's house. There was pressure to leave. But in the case of Malachi's time, it was the internal weariness, where people weren't trying hard and they viewed the gatherings as a burden and as an obligation, and they were just sort of filling seats. It was internal mediocrity weakening the gathering of believers, and it reminds us of the older son 
in Luke chapter 15, the, pro- the, the prodigal son's older brother, who despite staying in the house, when he was talking to the father, he said, you know what, I, I could have gotten my inheritance and I could have gone and made merry with my friends, but I chose to stay here despite wanting to be out there. And so oftentimes the, these external temptations weary us and can fatigue inside a community of believers to the point where our participation now is just, we're just kind of going through the motions, going through the rituals. There's pressure to stagnate, and it can hurt the gathering of believers together. And this should not be so, because what God wants from our ecclesia is laid out for us in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the ecclesia needs to be an essential place for us to gather. These big events in the the community needs to be something that we do not forsake. It needs to be the priority and the goal of believers in that community to keep it strong and thriving. And we shouldn't just sit back, as so often took place in, in, in Bible times, and wait for a problem to be too late. We should be proactive in encouraging and strengthening our community. There's a verse in Revelation on this where the message of Christ to the Ecclesia was, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Don't wait for the thing to die. Don't wait till someone has left. Don't wait until there's this huge hole or a problem in our ecclesia or event. Let's proactively support our community and our gatherings together to prevent the problems from beginning in the first place. And so now we come to 2019, and this actually gonna, is going to be a picture from the year 2018. i, I got to preface this, though. When I took this picture, I was very emotional. I was so moved and inspired by what I was seeing that I actually had to go and take a picture of it. This was one of the most beautiful sights I had seen in a really long time. And uh, confession, a few of you are going to be in this picture. And this was a picture of the teen devotions at Trine last year, where the first few years at Trine, we struggled to find a good spot for the teens to get together at night for the devotion at Hymsing. But this, the last year, we found this perfect spot. And there had not really been a hymn sing and a gathering for devotions like this since we had moved to Trine. And when I walked into the lobby and saw this, I, I was blown away and I was so happy to see that the, the glory days, if you will, of teen devotions were back at Trine. And so this wonderful community event that was powerful and helpful for our young people, it was so great to see and I had to take a picture of it. But then an hour or a half hour went by, or it would be the next day in the afternoon. And I won't show pictures of this, but in this exact same location, what you would see was the teenagers scattered and sitting on the same chairs and couches here, but as we discussed in our last class, on their phones. And they were off, connected to other places, and what was happening here had stopped. And what happened instead was our, our, our event together, our gathering together had been weakened through both external pressure, which then led to an internal mediocrity. And as a little bit of a background to the point I'm about to make, 
Some of you may recognize what this is a map of, courtesy of Google Images. Uh, for those that don't know, this is a picture of the campus of Hanover College, a place that I'll never be able to forget the rest of my life. And we've got Donner here and Crow here and the Campus Center here and the Fine Arts Building here and Wiley's here and the, the Sports Center is here. And this is a wonderful place for so many of us. And back when I was a kid, your world for one week was entirely within this little red sort of box, this red shape here. And for a week, all the people you talked to, all the communication you had, everything you did was contained in this little community, as powerful as it was for a week in Indiana. I remember as a kid, you would come home from Bible school and you wouldn't know what was happening in the world. You, have, you would check the news on Sunday afternoon, like what's happened the past week. One year, there was a big plane crash during Hanover. I had no idea it was taking place. But nowadays, we're at a new location in Trine and recognize this map of, of the Trine campus here. And yes, we're there for a week and we're there 200, 300, whatever the numbers may be. But the world that we're in when we're at Bible school now, or really anywhere, isn't just this small little red shape. It's really the entire world, isn't it? That wherever we are now, 24-7, in our ecclesia, at Bible school, at Manitoulin, Shippensburg, we're at a study day, wherever we are, we are now perpetually, always, pulled away and tempted to be connected to other parts of the world. The power of community now is no longer simply a, a monopoly that religious groups have. There is now a complete worldwide online community, which is always pulling us away. And it's weakening our community of believers in 2019. Here at our study day, even now at the Livonia Hall, we have access to everything via technology, our devices, and the web. And I, I'm one of many, probably all of you, that has checked their phone since arriving here at the study day. Over half the world, this is the entire population of the world, now uses the internet. If anyone here does not, you are now in the minority. And in the developed world, over 80% of the population are now active internet users. And online communities exist. I'm just going to briefly show this one and make it a commercial. But on YouTube now, there are 23 million channels and every one of them now has a community tab. So this is just, you know, Marvel Entertainment. And they offer a place where you can gather and meet and discuss and share things like this with other fans of the Marvel world. Online communities, and I'm just going to take that off the slide now, are now an inextricable part of our lives, and they're everywhere. They come with us wherever we are if we have an online device. I want to briefly tell another story, if you will. It's just sort of anecdotal from my own life. I remember when I was a child, so go back to the 80s, if you will, and on those, those rare moments when you would be sort of sick on a Sunday and you had to stay home from going to meeting, there really was not much to do. I remember the, the, the one thing I liked back then was this show called American Gladiators, which in hindsight was kind of a silly show. It would just be people running around doing things like throwing balls at each other. And that was the only entertainment. It was other than that, like just infomercials on TV. And when you stayed home for a meeting, you were just kind of bored and stuck. And now I want us to jump ahead to 
to 2003. And again, an anecdotal story from my life. There was one Sunday where I just went a little too hard at the Sunday school picnic. I didn't put on sunblock and I got really sick and I woke up the next day feeling terrible. I was exhausted and I I was just, I I was in a bad place health-wise. But I wanted so badly to be at meeting that despite being sick, and I really probably should have seen a doctor and been taking fluids, I drove to the Livonia Hall and I was happy to be here. And actually my dad saw me keeling over in the row and he said, Mike, you got to go home. You are, you are not looking good. And I actually had to go home. Dad told me to. And it was the right, de- it was the right decision to make because I was just really, really, really sick. But I wanted to be here so bad. What else was I going to do? But now we jump to today. And now if we stay home on a Sunday, we can do absolutely anything else that we could do on a Monday or a Friday or a Saturday And there are now tons of online communities. There's 24-7 entertainment. And now we're once, if you will, the deck was rigged to favor religious participation on a Sunday or these kind of community events. Now the deck is rigged against us. And now our society is built such that we're tempted to do all sorts of millions of other potential options out there. And now the power of community which can be used for good in the Ecclesia and was used for good in biblical times, now is used for bad against us. Now we are 24-7 facing a modern-day Jeroboam where Dan and Bethel are with us all the time. And we have to choose every day, am I going to go to Jerusalem or am I going to go to Dan and Bethel where there's a really great party going on? And this is the real challenge that we as believers have in these last days. Now, one thing we do have, I don't want to paint uh, too dark of a picture here. I firmly believe that we as Christadelphians have a precious hope. We have a pearl of great price, which cannot be found in any other community. As fun as the YouTube channels are and the, the Marvel entertainment and all of the external pressure that's out there, what we have, the promise of God's truth, And his kingdom soon to come and the message of the Bible cannot be replaced by any other community out there. And so if we support our community, if we rally around this pearl of great price that we have, and if we can make our gatherings wonderful and not just bring the second-rate injured offerings, not bring the sick and the lame, but make our community great— That's what we need in these last days to help us avoid the temptation of other communities that are out there. So I'm going to come to this slide now. It really is up to each one of us that we have a very, very uh, important choice to make here that Ephesians 4 lays out for us. This referring to the composition of the Ecclesia. It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So to take this verse and break it out a little bit, all of us have a way that we can contribute, whether it's you know, teachers, evangelists, pastors. We don't necessarily have prophets now, but we have volunteers and workers and piano players. We have all of the skills and volunteers and gifts and talents that we need to run a community. 
to run events like study days and Bible schools and other gatherings? And do we use that opportunity to build up and to edify and to strengthen our community? Or are we bringing our second best? Is it a burden for us? Is it an obligation for us to get involved in the ecclesia? Do we have to be asked and sort of pulled and nudged and convinced and persuaded to support our community and to support our big events? Or are we proactively looking for ways to strengthen our community? Are we looking for ways to not make it a mediocre experience, but to make it like the days of Hezekiah, where they wanted to stay another seven days after it was completed? This really is, I would suggest, a a critical juncture in our community, where because we have this 24-7 external temptation, we have got to try our best to create something that's great and wonderful to participate in, such that our young people and teenagers will choose to keep going to Bible schools and keep going to gatherings as opposed to just leaving and joining other groups and other communities. So for our discussion and meditation questions for our our five-minute chat session, we have this. What can we do to improve and support essential faith-building events in our community of believers And how do we resist the 24-7 external pull that the, the online communities of this world have on us, and especially on our young people, that pull us away from the body of Christ? So please take five minutes, and I'll see you shortly.
All right, if we could slowly wrap up our, our chat session there. Thank you all. <clears throat> At the outset of this class, I'd just like to ask you all a brief favor. If you would really try your best to think of the, the lesson from our very first session, that we're trying to look for and see challenges that we did not previously consider and really look at anything that technology brings into our life, which can be good and nice and wonderful and beneficial, but also look for the potential pitfalls and harm. And I'm not going to necessarily condemn something as being nothing but bad, but even good things can have a bad element or a bad use or be a spiritual mediocrity and have negative spiritual side effects for us. So please do not hurl stones at me in this class. I'm just bringing up a question about a potential pitfalls of modern technology. Okay, so let's begin. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And one of the central lessons the Bible has for us from beginning to end 
is how we speak and communicate to each other. And it's a, a lifelong struggle, a struggle that really everyone has dealt with from Adam until now, is how to manage and learn to speak properly. The, the two goals of which being, as this verse lays out for us, to, on one hand, refrain from evil, to keep the garbage out of our mouth, but to also speak good, to speak of the, the, the long life and to see good days. Deuteronomy chapter 6 informs us of this. Verses 6 through 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this is a passage about the good things to speak about, to fill our conversations, to fill the things that we say, what comes out of our mouth, with the words of God, with, with the Bible. Let God's word speak through us. And we should strive to do this all the time throughout the day. We wake up and we lie down as we go about our, our day from morning till night. We know this lesson, that we should all be striving to speak the things of God as much as we can in our communication with each other. Malachi chapter 2 takes it further and says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so people really should, the ideal is that people view us and conversing with us and speaking with us as if they're speaking with a messenger of God, that we speak about our faith, we talk about the word. This really is the goal that people will want to talk to us because what we have to say is uplifting and edifying and encouraging. And I think we've all sort of experienced this. I, I can think of a few people in my life who I get really excited when I get to talk to them because the conversation with them usually really is very encouraging and, and really builds me up. And I'm not going to name names, but I think we all have people in our life like that who you just love to talk to because you walk away feeling more faithful. And you just feel, there's, a, there's a spring in your step that these positive conversations can have for all of us. And Proverbs 8, verse 7 says, My mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. So again, we, we get the, the bad things out of our speech and we want to speak truth and have people be benefited and people hear the truth by the things that we say. But this, of course, is a struggle, right? This is not necessarily an easy thing to do. And throughout our lives, we all wrestle with, with mastering the tongue. And James 3 warns us of this. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And a lot of us in this wrestling with mastering our speech and our tongue, we've made mistakes. And I have three or four very clear moments in my life where I really regretted something I said. And I wish I could go back and unsay it. Even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to say, but it, that's just how it came out. And it was destructive. This is a lesson that sometimes in life we learn the hard way. And over the course of life, as we gain maturity and experience, we perhaps do get better at, at mastering the things that we say, speaking truth, speaking positive, beneficial things. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11 says, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. And so the things that we say and communicate 
can be destructive and, and it can be bad for us. We, the things that we say can defile us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This is a wonderful goal for us to strive for, that everything we say builds up and edifies the people that we talk to, and that our time together as an ecclesia or as fellow believers leads to a growing of our faith together and leads to the imparting of grace to all that listen to us. And I think this next verse really is the thesis for the goal of our speech. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. This really should be the goal for all of us to strive after that the things that we speak and communicate are speaking the truth in love, that we're talking about the word, our faith, our hope, our goal, the ecclesia, things that will build up and encourage people that listen to us to become more like Christ. We are ambassadors for him. And so the things that we speak and communicate should reflect him, remind others of him, and help those that hear us to become more like him. So this is the scriptural lesson for us on how we speak and communicate to each other. And and yes, it's difficult. We're going to make mistakes. But we should always be trying our best that our speech and communication is in a manner like this, to speak the truth in love. So now we come to the year 2019, to our modern day and age. And all of us in the Ecclesia, we've learned this lesson from childhood And we know that all of us are striving our best to manage and control our speech and our communication to each other when we have conversations. I would actually say we do a pretty decent job of really striving after this goal when we talk to each other. We know this is out there and we're on top of voice-to-voice communication, trying to have the words that come out of our mouth be the truth spoken in love. But what about electronic communication. As we come into the year 2019, what about when our communication is not necessarily face-to-face and voice-to-voice, but is typed out, is texted out, or expressed through other mediums and, and other channels? Do we apply the same guidelines that we do for our speech and our face-to-face conversations to electronic communication? And so how does this apply to when we communicate with our devices? We're great at speaking Bible verses face-to-face. But what about when we communicate with this? I can sense the venom coming from the audience. Uh, Obviously, texting is an absolutely inextricable part of how we communicate in today's day and age. It's not going away. It's not going to change. Texting is here for good. But in our text speak, are we speaking the truth in love? Are we typing out and writing out words that are full of grace? Or are we using these? Are we using these acronyms and hyphenations and especially things like OMG? If we know what OMG means, 
that is definitely not speaking the truth in love, and you question if it's even following the Ten Commandments. These things have crept in, and perhaps we have not fully examined if we're applying the Bible lesson on proper speech to electronic communication, and texting is really just the beginning. You're not going to like this, but what about these? Is this speaking the truth in love? And what about these? Are these a way that we express the truth in love, or are these a gateway to other forms of worldliness that should not be coming out of our mouths or coming out of our cell phones, if you will. And I want to brace the teenagers for this next one. You guys know I love you. I've taught many of you at at Bible school. I I love being around you. But are these speaking the truth in love? These are hilarious. They're funny. They are now a part of how we communicate in a lot of avenues and ways. But is this speaking the truth in love? There's, of course, also... I'm going to take that off the screen as it's a distraction. There are also things like vines, and there's gifs, and there was just so much that you could talk about and ask about. And I realize the necessity, going back to text speak here, I realize that in in our modern-day world, our attention spans have shrunk. And we need to communicate more information in a more compact manner. And the pressure of our society is to just get that information out there, and we don't have the time to wait around and make a call or write out a proper email. And so we use text speak like this to save time. But have we done so at the compromise of what the Bible teaches us about how we should communicate? To come back to things like memes and gifs and vines and hashtags, if we got in a time machine and went back to the year 20 years ago, 1999, and we said, 20 years from now in the future, brothers and sisters in Christ would express their emotions to each other via pop culture references, movie quotes, and song lyrics in picture form. You would say, you've got to be kidding me. How would the Ecclesia approve of that? Why why would brothers and sisters in Christ, striving their best to follow Christ's example, communicate to each other in this way? But because it is so much fun and it's hilarious and they express a lot, like the word, a picture paints a thousand words, it saves time. There's a lot of sort of natural reasons to use things like this. But perhaps our spiritual mind should be awakened to realize that while this is not overtly wicked, it's just like our first uh, examples from our first session, the people in Amos's day, the people in Haggai's day, they weren't stooped in deep wickedness. It wasn't some gross immorality. But what it is, is spiritual mediocrity. It isn't the worst thing in the world, but it is nonetheless conforming to this world. When we communicate this way, we're not encouraging and fostering the growth of Christ in each other, but rather we're fostering conforming to how everyone else around us communicates in this day and age. You may also be aware, I'm going to just briefly mention this, that there is an Instagram account called Christo Memes, and it turned or it generates memes out of things that are a part of our ecclesial life. And while many of us might find this funny and hilarious, 
This is really, I would say, quite toxic and quite a bad thing to participate in. And I would discourage anyone from following or subscribing to things like this that take our faith and our ecclesia and turn it into a joke which matches all the other jokes that are on the internet. So I'll take that off the screen right now. So while this has been a difficult subject to digest, we should, I think, apply the lessons from our first session and really try to see and consider how we communicate to each other. The power of fast communication in this day and age does nonetheless present a bit of a threat for us that we need to prepare for. And while it is so tempting to just get the information out there, what I would suggest is really trying our best to apply a few guidelines. So here's some suggested applications for how to communicate in a technological world. Number one, strive to use edifying speech instead of acronyms and text speak. And again, maybe it's an emergency, you're under a clock, sometimes you just have to get the, the information out quickly, but when possible, try to actually use words and express the word of God, even typed out in a text or an email. Number two, this is kind of an obvious one, try as best as we can to, when we can, use face-to-face or voice-to-voice communication and try to minimize communicating via like direct messages or like posting and all the other ways, texting, where we just sort of like get a quick little post out or a share out. Try our best to actually use proper speech and use the English language to communicate to each other. We should try to take our time and communicate in a spiritually beneficial manner. Ask yourself the question, is this medium of communication going to impart grace and build up the people that hear it? Or is it just going to conform with how billions of people around the world communicate in a fast-paced, highly pressurized world? And number four, please, we've got to stop with the memes and the vines and the gifs. And I, I, I just want to say once again, I know how hard this is. This is asking a lot. This is how young people communicate. Facebook and Instagram and texting and chat forums are just saturated with communication in this manner, with memes and vines. And I know I'm asking a lot that this is going to be really difficult for our young people to follow because they're just so much fun. Like they really are, and they express so much so quickly, but it's hurting us, and it's conforming us, and it's not building us up. Please, please, we've got to stop with the memes and the gifs and the vines. And so here again, we have to, I think, take another lesson from our second session from our first class, which is that we, the adults, the people who are above age 25, we have got to set an example we're not necessarily coming up in a world where this is absolutely what everyone around you does. We have the chance and a choice to choose. It's easier for us to not communicate this way. We have to set an example. And if we as uncles and parents and grandparents are communicating this way to our children and nieces and nephews and grandchildren, how can we ask them to not do the same? And then second of all, once again, I I love all the young people here. I know most of you. 
please, please consider stopping using memes and GIFs and vines. So for our discussion and meditation questions, how do we speak the truth in love in a world of digital communication and shrinking attention spans? And number two, specifically, what do you think about stopping from using memes in your communication? So let's take five minutes to discuss, and then we'll close after that. <laughs>